Judges chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Let's hear God's word. Now, after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall be first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I have delivered the land into his hand. So Judah said to Simeon, his brother, Come up with me to my allotted territory, that we may fight against the Canaanites, and I will likewise go with you to your allotted territory. And Simeon went with him. Then Judah went up, and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand. And they killed 10,000 men at Bezek. And they found Adonai Bezek in Bezek and fought against him. And they defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Then Adonai Bezek fled and they pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and big toes. And Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off uh, used to gather scraps, used to gather scraps under my table. As I have done, so God has repaid me. And then they brought him to Jerusalem, and there he died. Now the children of Judah fought against Jerusalem and took it. They struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. And afterward the children of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites, who dwelt in the mountains in the south and in the lowland. Then Judah went up went against the Canaanites who dwelt in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kirjath Arba. And they killed Sheshai, Ahiman, and Talmai. And from there they went against the inhabitants of Deber. The name of Deber was formerly Kirjath Sefer. And we end the reading of God's holy word there. May he bring his blessing to us. Already you can see that the book of Judges has some interesting events happening in it. Uh, uh, Doni Bezek, uh, his thumbs and toes cut off. And what, what he did to 70 kings was done to him. And we think, wow, how graphic God's word can be. I think that's one of the challenges with the book of Judges is its graphic detail of cruelty and wickedness. And it, it will get worse as we move along in this book. And particularly when we come to the closing three chapters and see what God's own people did. That, it, to me, will be uh, most concerning uh, but it does record some very gross, indecent, and frightening accounts of Israel's conduct. And you think about this in relation to the church today. I know some people don't always like the fact that I bring Israel to the church, but that's the connection of Scripture. Uh, all who are believing uh, in Christ, who are of that faith of Abraham, are Israel, and that's a reality. Israel was the kingdom of God in Old Testament times. It represented the kingdom of God to the nations of the world. It wasn't simply just a nation of people. 
They were God's covenant people, and they are the precursor to the church, which is now in the whole of the world. But when you come to some of these records of the frightening conduct of Israel, why would we study this book? <laughs> I'm sure some of you were thinking, why are we turning to this book? Are we went through Judges, I mean Joshua. Uh, naturally, it comes after uh, that book, but it has so many details that are just disturbing to read, let alone to hear preached. But it, it is important. I base this on what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, that we are called as the church to look back on Israel in the Old Testament to read and to see these things and to learn to take heed in our own life and in our own time as God's church that we who think we stand should not fall. That we're seeing, <coughs> we're seeing, first of all, the struggle of God's people. The judges is not just about the people whom God raised up to lead Israel at a time when they didn't have a king. It is revealing to us the struggle of God's people in being faithful to God. They start out very well in these 11 verses that we read. It sounds like they're off to a tremendous start. They're asking God, who shall go first? And God says, great, I'll help you. Uh, let uh, Judah, let the tribe of Judah go out first and I will give the land to them. And, and, it, and it looks all well and good. Till you get to chapter 2. And then it seems to fall apart very quickly. Whether it is Israel or the church, it, I think it's important to see that the pattern of decline is the same. And, and what we look at as far as the church in Western society today, we're going to see from judges that churches also can become very messy theologically, spiritually, morally. But I think what's encouraging is that as unfaithful as Israel shows itself within this book, there's always that faithfulness of God meeting them. God is always true to who He is. Judges also show us the weakness of God's people when they cast off the rule of God. <laughs> we sometimes think our weaknesses are found within our inabilities to do certain things, to have certain talents. But the weakness that, that we're going to see in Israel through this book comes when they cast off the rule of God. When they, as the, the uh, ending verse of this book, if you were to go to the last chapter, Judges 25, uh, sorry, 21, and you read verse 25, it's the indictment of the whole of the book. There was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And, and if anything that, that reveals the weakness of God's people, it's this, this point 
You cast off your God's rule. And it doesn't matter how many people you have. It doesn't matter how much you may show yourself to have in the way of talents as a congregation. Without God, you can do nothing. And they were not able to stand up against any of their enemies when they cast off the rule of God. Isn't that what Jesus said in John 15 verse 5? Abide in me and I in you. Abide in my love as I have abided in my Father's love. And how do we show that abiding in Christ? How do we show that abiding in the love of of God? Jesus says it there in John 15, 5. Keeping my commandments. By following my rule. If you love me, keep my commandments. But as he says that, abide in my love and, and I will abide in you. and You will abide in me. He goes on to say in, in John 15, 5, For without me you can do nothing. And the connectedness of being able to, to walk in that rule of God, demonstrating our love for God, translates an ability to do in Christ what we would otherwise be weak to do. Now look at your own lives in that respect. Do you find yourself struggling in devotions and Struggling in worship and struggling in the things that God expects of you. There's, there's the point to ask. Have I cast off King Jesus' rule? Am I walking in love with Him? The Judges shows us the struggles of God's people in being faithful to God. It shows the weakness of God's people when they cast off God's rule. But again, and I've mentioned this already, Judges, I think, preeminently shows the long-suffering grace of God toward an ever-straying people whom He has loved. (laughs) More than anything, that point, I think, is most amazing. And there comes a point when we go through this book in chapter 10 where God has for the nth time come and and uh, brought Israel out of their troubles only to watch them cast off his rule again and fall back under the oppression of the nations around them. That they come and they cry out to him, God, we're really sorry we did this again. Will you come and rescue us? And God looks at them and says, no, no, I won't. And, And when you read that for a moment, you're almost thinking... So God isn't being faithful at this time. Well, God left them for a time to their waywardness. But you also still read it there in verse 10 where God looks and He saw the suffering of His people and He says, I can't bear to see the suffering of the ones whom I have loved. I will help them. (laughs) Not because they deserved it, but because of who He is. As God. An ever straying people. Whom he has loved. 
The long-suffering grace of God is mighty. And this ought to, again, meet us today as the church. Remember what Peter said in 1 Peter 4, 17. Because as much as the book of Judges is about the judges that God raised up to deliver Israel from their oppressors, it is also a book that shows us God judging His people. And if the time for, has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel? That is, that is something that should shake us as a church. If we are ones being judged by God in accordance with our faithfulness to Him, how does our faithfulness look before God? Well, we're going to see that one day. If it begins with us first, and I think many of us are going to see, we have, we have barely escaped the judgment of God. What's going to be the end of those who do not obey the gospel? At least with us in that measure of faithfulness and that those times of unfaithfulness if we are in Christ, if we have professed faith in Him, if we belong to the One who is the vine, we will never be cast out. <laughs> well, what's it going to be like for those who do not obey the Gospel? And that's the thing about Judges. By the time we get to the end of it, we will have covered 350 years thereabouts of Israel's history. And, and, and if you're like me, reading this book and you come to the end of it, you almost expect God to give up on Israel. Because for all of their unfaithfulness upwards to chapter uh, 18, you're, you're looking, okay, they've repented, they've come back to God. But you read those last three chapters and the atrocities that unfold within the nation, you're just stepping back. You don't see that repentance coming and meeting us at the end of this book. You'd almost expect God to say, I've had enough. But God's long-suffering grace still comes and meets them. What's the next book of the Bible after Judges? It's Ruth. And we see with Ruth the... Uh, great-grandfather of David and then the grandfather of David and then the father of David and God is still remembering his promises and long-suffering suffering a long time with Israel to accomplish his purposes and again that's part of the things that are written for our sake and our time so that we would read this book, we would hear and in humility, we would learn to take a greater confidence, not in us, not in ourselves, but in that long-suffering grace of God. You think about the church today. You can see the long-suffering grace of God even in those denominations that we would cast off. And some of us 
really look at some of the denominations within our own country whom after 50 years of grave decline we would say, why do we even count them as the visible church? For all the godlessness and immorality and bad theology and terrible spirituality that exists within them. Why are we even accepting their baptisms? And I've, I've been involved in those questions. But if I've learned anything in the last couple years, is that even these denominations, after 50 years of grave decline, they still have the whispers of God's grace within them. <laughs> it's amazing to think. But God is long-suffering. His grace abounds. And where does His grace abound? It abounds more where sin abounds. And that, that's, that's a humbling thing. I, I, I bring that to your attention because again, as, as it is written in second, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 10 verse 12, that we need to look on these things. We need to look at the history of Israel and we need to learn humbly that we're dependent on that same grace and long-suffering of God. And we need to take heed lest we think we stand with all our theological precision and all of our spirituality in our church and in our homes and all of that morality that we think we're guarding ourselves against. We need to take heed lest we fall. We do stand. But we don't stand in our strength. We stand in accordance with the long-suffering grace of God. And with all of that, let's just quickly look at, a, at, at, a, at a, a three points here. And the first is, uh, as we're being introduced to the judges uh, I want us to see from this book how it connects uh, to the previous books. If you were to read Exodus 1, you would see that the death of Joseph is brought up. And then Israel finds herself uh, captive to Egypt. And then they're delivered and God brings them into the land of promise and and we know the 40 years that they have to wander. And you read uh, Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And we're brought to that uh, point in time when Moses dies. And how does the book of Joshua take up the history? It begins with, now after the death of Moses. <laughs> now they've lost jo Joseph, I, I should say, Joseph, the king or the second to the king. And now Israel has lost another great leader, Moses. And now we come to the book of Judges and how does it begin? Now after the death of Joshua. God's reminding us something with these words. His kingdom. His church. Though it is built with those who have become living stones in Jesus Christ. And though God calls and gifts men to be under shepherds and pastors and teachers of His people, the church's foundation is not any man. 
no matter how great they are, no matter how much we might esteem them, they are but men. Another era is beginning for Israel with the death of one of God's key servants, Joshua. Who's going to compare to him? Well, who is going to compare to Moses? Who's going to compare to Joseph? And yet, with the death of all of these three key figures in Israel's history already, you notice that God's kingdom... And God's promises did not end with any of these men. Joshua has died. But God, Yahweh, the Lord, the eternally self-existing God, He calls Judah to go up. You see that in verse 2. Judah shall go up. Joshua, who had led the armies of Israel to lay hold of the land of promise, has died. But Yahweh, God, the Lord, is the one who continues to deliver the land into the hands of His people. And again, that's a point that ought not to be lost on the church today. It is all too easy to put our confidence in prominent leaders or pastors or to compare one man with another and to follow those who seem to be having a great following or to be dependent on those who are the leader or the pastor of a church and forget that the church is not founded upon a man however important they may be to the life and ministry of the church, Jesus is greater. He's the one that builds His church. He's the one who saves His people. I was reading a biography some weeks ago uh, about a man who was a great evangelist. And the one who was writing the biography made this statement, and I thought it was so wrong. He saved many people in his ministry. No, he didn't. Jesus saved many people through his ministry. But it's a very different thought, isn't it? And not only do we need to realize that, but what we are going to see in the book of Judges is a pattern. A pattern unfolds as Israel strives to be that kingdom of God and as they strive to lay hold of the land and rule the land to the glory of God, there's a constant fourfold cycle that unfolds in these early chapters of Judges. They get off to a good start, but then there is, and they're all ours here, a relapse. They begin to disobey God. They begin to ignore His commandments. They begin to become like the nations around them. They forget the things that God has taught them. The elders uh, under Joshua have all died and they are left to themselves and they think, let's choose another way. (laughs) And they fall into sin, grave sin, idolatry. 
And then God brings retribution upon them. That second part. God uh, brings His judgment and discipline upon them. He brings forward an oppressor that will teach them what it is like to follow the idols of the world. And what it is going to be like for them to be without their God, caring for them, supporting and undertaking for them. And as they are under that oppression, it brings them to the third part of this cycle, repentance. It works repentance in them. Discipline is purpose to work repentance by the hand of God. And they repent and they realize they have abandoned the the Lord their God and so they return to Him and they have a refinement at the hands of a judge whom God raises up to remove the oppressor from the land. And they are restored. The fourth R. Relapse, retribution, repentance, restoration. God brings them back to this place where they live in measured faithfulness to Him for at least a generation. And then it starts all over again. That whole cycle just keeps going around, going around. Measured decline occurs in the character of the judges as each one comes uh, after a season to bring relief from the oppressors, the the judges themselves are less and less and less reliable in their character. And the time of them being under the discipline and retribution of God, it, it grows and grows and grows. But again, it shows the faithfulness of God to keep His kingdom, to build His church, I don't think it's any secret that we are living in a time and a season when the church is in great decline. At least in the Western world. And we look at this and we think, oh, when is the day of revival coming? (laughs) Well, we don't know. But we do know that God, and and again, I believe this is something that, that the church misses is that God is not simply punishing a nation for its fall from a moral uh, uprightness. That God is disciplining His church in the midst of this. Remember that proverb, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And the righteousness that God is talking about in that proverb is the righteousness of His people, of His Israel, of His church. When the church becomes like the world, and we see that pattern here in Judges, when the church becomes like the world, God is never pleased. The holiness of God is no longer reflected as it should be in the midst of His people. They no longer shine as light to the world. And God brings His people down in that hard discipline to bring them to that place of repentance. And what is the promise of God when His people are so humbled and they come to that place of repentance? What is God's promise? Second Chronicles chapter 7 
verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. You know what Canada needs today? doesn't need another secular prime minister. <laughs> what Canada needs today is for the church to humble themselves, to repent, turn from the wicked ways. And God's promise is He will forgive and bring healing. That's how it works. That's how it's always worked. Now we can be like Israel, presuming God's uh, covenant of grace toward us. And we can be like many churches and build up walls to insulate ourselves from the world and think that's going to keep us faithful. You know what keeps us faithful? is humility and dependence upon the Lord Jesus. What keeps us faithful is growing in love for our Lord and demonstrating that love for our God in following His law. When we presume God's grace it leads to this self-confidence and faithlessness. And the end of that self-confidence and the end of that faithfulness is apostasy and backsliding and disunity and immorality. And that's what keeps creeping into Israel. Friends, what we need today is to be praying as God's people. Forgive us. Even though we are a congregation that might believe that we are seeking and following God's will and purposes better than others, we must recognize we are still part of the visible church of God. And like Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, in the midst of, of Judah, um, Israel's captivity in Babylon, he didn't say, Father, our parents... We're unrighteous and now will you look upon us and just deliver us from this bondage. Daniel says, Father, we were unrighteous. God, we have failed you. God, we have turned away from you. He included himself in that. And we need to be guarded that we do not esteem ourselves more than we ought. Way for the church is humility, repentance, and that pursuit of righteousness. That's judges in a nutshell. Now we come as well to the role of judges. When we go through this, there, you're going to see that there were 15 judges in all. Some seem pretty decent, others sketchy. And I want you to see as we go through and look at all of these men who were called to be judges. And I know everyone's probably thinking, well, what about Deborah? She was in there. We'll, we'll get to that. Uh, but I want you to understand every one of them, every one of them who were judges were men of faith, men of faith, anointed with the Spirit of God, with all their faults, 
It's interesting when you get to the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 in the hall of faith. Samson and Jephthah are mentioned as men of faith. And when we read of them here in Judges, we, we think, men of faith? <laughs> they were scandalous. <laughs> Again, isn't that humbling? How many times do we look at someone who has sinned and we think that sin is so great, they, they can't be a Christian. I guard your thoughts on that. These judges were raised by God, anointed by the Spirit of God to be deliverers. Not kings, but deliverers. Their primary role was to bring Israel out of the oppression of their enemies, to literally save them. It's a word to speak of the work of Jesus in delivering us from the power of Satan, delivering us from the bondage of sin, delivering us from the curse of death. It's that same word that's used to define the role of these judges. They delivered. They saved. And, and when you read about these judges, they were not judges over all of Israel. They were raised up in specific areas and regions where oppressors came in and began to uh, 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 bring that oppression upon a certain segment of, of Israel. And they were raised at that time to deal with the oppressors. And they were also raised up by God to vindicate God's righteousness and faithfulness. This again is very key in looking at these judges. Why, why did God raise them up? Because God wanted Israel to understand even in His righteousness and their unrighteousness, He would be faithful to His covenant. And these judges were symbols and emblems to Israel that the Lord out of pity and honor to His covenant to Abraham... He delivered them, not because they deserved it, but because of God's righteousness and faithfulness. God had chosen Israel. God had desired their salvation. And God purposed to be faithful to who He was as God, to who He was as the Lord God of Israel. Remember these words from Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed this. God says, I'm going to reveal to you, Moses, the glory of who I am. And God proclaimed this. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. God is being true to who He is. And when the iniquity of Israel becomes so great that God must discipline and judge and 
bring that oppression upon his people to humble them. God is vindicating his righteousness. And when God raises up the judge to come and bring deliverance to his people, God is vindicating his faithfulness. And when you understand that, it brings us to this truth that every time we read of these judges, every single one of them, brings us to that last point there, that it's bringing us to Christ. These judges are types of Christ. We can miss that when we look at them and we see the imperfections and at times the grave sin and pride that these judges exhibit. And yet they were still types of Christ. They were presenting to Israel the glory of Christ the Messiah who is the true judge, the true deliverer of his people. You see, that again brings us to the truth about every book of the Bible is that it is a revelation from God about God our Savior. (laughs) It always is. And one of the things I hope you will see more and more as we go through this book is that you will see the glory and the beauty of Christ, the true and perfect deliverer and savior of his people, the one who is the faithful deliverer, both faithful to God in accomplishing that salvation for his people, but also faithful to all of his people. We will see that in the imperfections of these judges, the greater perfections of Jesus Christ. So when you read about these judges, when you hear about them, see Christ. And when you see Christ, thank God for that righteousness of the Lord that is upon us. When you see Christ, Thank God for the true and faithful Savior that he sent to deliver all his people from all their sins. Let's pray.